0: Hey everyone, it's Shloka, Head of External Affairs for Women in Technology and Business at UT
1: Dallas, and welcome to WeTalk.
0: Joining me today is Dr. Britt Barrett. Dr. Barrett is currently the Program Director for the Undergraduate Healthcare Management Program at UT Dallas. At UTD, he's also a clinical professor specializing in healthcare organizations, strategy, and international management. Prior to joining UTD, he served as the president of Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital Dallas, which is a 900-bed hospital, and also the executive vice president of Texas Health Resources Network of 24 facilities and over 250 ambulatory centers located throughout North Texas. Previously, he was the president and chief executive officer of Medical City and Medical City Children's Hospital, the flagship medical center for the North Texas Division of HCA. He also served as a CEO as part of the SHARP Healthcare System in San Diego, California. Dr. Barrett, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Oh, I'm delighted, it's a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Of course, glad to have you. So this is actually a tiny tangent, but you actually spoke at one of my business basics lectures at UTD about the undergraduate healthcare management program um, last fall when I was a freshman actually. And I remember you talking about your very vast and in-depth experience in the healthcare industry, but to refresh my memory and also convey to our listeners, could you share how did you initially get into this field? Like what really interested you about it?
2: Well, uh, thank you. And, and I was delighted to participate in that introductory presentation. I I, uh, I feel like um, my life has purpose and my profession should have a, a, a direction and meaning. So uh, when I was an undergraduate, I was trying to figure it out. And I uh, actually lived in Peru for a couple of years doing missionary work. For the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I really kind of got centered with my life and my God, and and I wanted to be part of something bigger. And so um, I don't like clinical; I don't like touching people; I don't like blood and all that. But I have a pretty good business mind, and so I thought perhaps there's a place that combines the two, and healthcare management is that place. So I finished my undergraduate in finance went off to Washington University School of Medicine, did my, my graduate work there, and began and embarked on a career in healthcare management and leadership. And so for 20-plus years, I was a hospital president and CEO, as you mentioned. And then I felt a calling to prepare the next generation of healthcare leaders to help them understand how you navigate through the complexities of healthcare. We have some amazing people that are doing amazing research, but how do you take it from the bench to the bedside? And that's the question. That's what we're struggling with. And so my, my career has been in that space for 20, 25 years, 20 as a hospital president. And then in the last five years, I've been here at the University of Texas at Dallas, which I love. Bright kids, engaging conversations. I uh, I, I just cherish the responsibility and opportunity to help them understand how we can improve care for those that are in need. And so... Um, I'm also the director for the Center for Healthcare Leadership and Management here at UTD. We took all our programs, our undergraduate program, our graduate programs. We put them all into a, a, an educational offering. So we're, you know, we're having executives from all across the United States participate in our lectures in a very unique and, and, and invigorating way.
0: Yeah, I remember after you mentioned it right now I remembered you discussing your trip to Peru and then your journey after. So yeah, thank you for thank you for that refresher. Um, you know, so we all know that the pressing global health issue right now is oh, COVID-19. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah. And considering, you know, all your professional experience that you also just elaborated on, um, we at our organization thought you'd be a great person to really elaborate on this. And I briefly mentioned this before we started recording. And, you know, I personally have been keeping up with the news related to this and Mm -hmm. obstacles that the healthcare industry is facing. But I wanted to hear your perspective on what would you say is the biggest challenge right now that the healthcare industry is facing in light of the virus?
2: Well, it's a very complex time in the the delivery of healthcare, not only nationally, but internationally. We knew there would be a pandemic. We knew it. It, it, it was inevitable. It wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. And so as things emerged and we realized that this was much more than your common annual flu, you know, we've had bits and pieces of this. We've had SARS, we've had MERS, we've had Ebola. Uh, we have been preparing for it. And I honestly, I, I think we've done a magnificent job. I, the, the critics don't understand the complexity of what we're we're talking about. A perfect example is someone on Facebook, uh, social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll say, well, why don't we tell everyone to wear a mask? We can't even get people to wear their their." Their seatbelts, right? It, right? It's just not in our DNA, and so we do not have a nationally dictated healthcare policy. But what you see is healthcare providers, public policy officials, uh, journalists, media, all coming together to find solutions. And so I've been, I've just been inspired. I'm, I'm actually amazed at how quickly we are moving towards a vaccine. We have 170. Different research projects going on nationwide and and globally, and you're seeing us eliminate bureaucratic paperwork that might encumber that effort. So, uh, you know, I think Pfizer is the one that's been announcing it. Uh, Johnson and Johnson is coming out with possibilities. I think we're finding solutions. So, I'm very encouraged in the direction that we're going, and we're learning a lot. So, there will be another pandemic. I hate to say it. uh, No. it's, it's, it's inevitable um, and it, we will be much better prepared to respond to future pandemics. We, we live in a global economy. There are no uh, country barriers. Everything is global. So we need to collaborate and work together. So I think we've learned a lot and I'm very, very pleased with what we've seen. Now, not to go on too far, but one thing I found is a deficiency or an opportunity, is for us to introduce smart business practices into the delivery of care. A a perfect example is uh, ventilators or PPE, personal protective equipment. Mm -hmm. We have store piles all over. How do we use supply chain management techniques to get those supplies at the right place at the right time? Well, we've learned a lot, and we will leverage the things that JSONs teaching us on how to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I venture to say we'll be much more effective in the future and healthcare management people will play a, a much bigger role in resolving and responding to these uh, crises.
0: You know, I'm actually very intrigued by what you mentioned about um, the supply chain question, since I am Ooh. actually a supply chain major myself. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm intrigued by that. Do you mind sharing how do you feel that whole question about um, how do we adapt the supply chain? Has, has that changed from the initial outbreak to now? And has, has it been um, for the better or
2: for the worse? Yeah, take a look at ventilators. Ventilators are utilized in a clinical setting, but most of the politicians were unfamiliar with what a ventilator does mm-hmm. and even its application. So supply chain managers are going to have, leaders, let's, let's not call them managers, let's call them leaders. They're going to have to help educate key decision makers on what's available what's possible. So let, we're not going to stockpile, doesn't make any sense, but it does make sense to say, how do I access uh, ventilators that might be in New York that are needed desperately in Louisiana? Or how do I get them transport locked and loaded from Louisiana and to Washington State, wherever they're needed. So the logistics side of it, with very attentive pre-indicators. Uh, take a look at Walmart. When there's a hurricane brewing, they are rolling trucks. Mm-hmm. Home Depot is rolling resources in anticipation of a disaster. Well, I think in healthcare, you're going to see the same thing. You're oh. going to see supply chain on products and on personnel. It's one place that supply chain hasn't played. But what about nurses and respiratory therapists? Mm -hmm. How do you deploy resources and personnel effectively and efficiently to the place it's needed? Oh, man, you could get me going for hours, (laughs) but I know we don't have the time. But exciting times for all of us.
0: Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned, you know, different, different states on how we should adapt the supply chain to delivering to different states and nationwide. So that kind of leads me a little bit to my next question, which is, could you briefly share your thoughts on the situation here in our state of Texas compared to nationwide?
2: Oh, I, I think we've done a magnificent job. Um, there is no um, national policy that would be adequate. And so the feds have said state by state, jurisdiction by jurisdiction, determine what the dynamics are. If you live in Sherman, Texas, there is going to be a different set of dynamics because of proximity, because of social activity that's different than perhaps downtown Dallas or downtown Los Angeles or downtown Atlanta or rural Iowa. So policymakers are very responsive to that. Now, in the state, great state of Texas, we're, we're, we're pretty independent. Mm-hmm. We're, we, we want you to prove it to us. And is that exhausting to some folks? Sure. And I think it's absolutely the American way. Um, I'm originally from Canada and, uh, I look at a different type of societal values and expectations. So we expect that healthcare is a government responsibility and therefore, um we expect weights and lines for our healthcare here in the greatest state of Texas. We don't, we, we expect, responsibility, accountability, and responsiveness. And if we don't get it, we'll move to someplace that does. So um, there there have been obviously plenty of places to criticize people. I'm just not in that camp. I'm very inspired with how Texans are responding and, and I'm looking at different geographies and different responsibilities. Public officials are also learning a lot in this process and uh, I just commend them all. I really am, I'm very impressed.
0: Right. Um, so, you know, earlier you talked about how adapting the supply chain could be a change that the healthcare industry, um, you know, should really address going forward and focus on. But in addition to that, do you think there are any changes that should be implemented in the industry to, you know, deal with this pandemic going forward?
2: I think our communications needs, communication needs to be enhanced. I think public policymakers need to learn how to effectively communicate with the community as a whole. Um, They've been in the backseat, public policy has been in the backseat for far too long, and public health officials have struggled with uh, community awareness. So uh, I would think communication is an area where we're really going to grow. We're going to create muscle strength there, and we're going to use social media and, and tools of communication to help people understand what the dynamics are. Now, That's not to say that there will be a lot of misinformation. We need to be able to weed through that. That's one area. Mm -hmm. A second area is we have a lot of data. How do we aggregate that data to make wise decisions? Uh, Big data is the topic at hand and using uh, 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 learning, computer learning to cipher through. Uh, We're still looking at the incident rates and who are the vulnerable populations. Once we identify vulnerable populations, we might be able to zero down into where they they are located. Are they in nursing homes? Are they in elementary schools? Uh, you know, we talked about social distancing and, and social contact tracing. Um, there'll be elements of that, but who? Where are the vulnerable populations? So we're going to weed through that data. This virus will mutate. There's no question about it. There will be other types of coronaviruses that will emerge and we'll be able to more effectively zero in on vulnerable populations and and, and, and the dynamics therein.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm curious, you talked about big data and I'm not exactly sure, fully sure if artificial intelligence is currently playing a role in the healthcare industry or if it will play a role. Do you mind elaborating on that?
2: Yeah, the term becomes a little scary for people. You know, it's kind of like a a Skynet Terminator idea where it controls. Well, I would suggest that artificial intelligence is just helping us take data information and synthesize it more efficiently, more effectively, more quickly. So, um, you know, we're, we're navigating through a lot of information about who's sick. Well, let's get a lot of more information about who has succumbed to this disease, and who has died from it. Mm-hmm. So let's look at maybe um, indicators, you know, early reports, diabetes, obesity. Okay, fair enough. How about age? How about uh, preexisting conditions? Maybe comorbidities, things that, that they also have. And if it, that's a fact case, artificial intelligence or machine learning or just synthesizing information, that allow us then to say, okay, This vulnerable population, we need to make sure that we sequester or we protect or we provide prophylactic care, right, Uh, before they are uh, – how can we inoculate them? Mm -hmm. So data will help us uh, weed through a lot of information. I'm very encouraged about that, to be quite honest.
0: Right. So I know this – might seem like kind of a broad question and you've alluded to it various points during our discussion, but what direction do you think the healthcare industry is going in the future overall?
2: I think we're going to see more holistic care. We have been very episodic care. We've been uh, uh, unwilling to speak to the social determinants of health. You know, what causes disease Mm -hmm. and what are the consequences of those kinds of behaviors? We've seen that, for example, we have put into place uh, seatbelt rules, and we see that a plunge in deaths from motor vehicle accidents. How about wearing a helmet when you ride a motorcycle? Okay, another (laughs) protective mechanism. How about restrictions or requirements on automobile manufacturing? Well, I think we're going to look at how you live your life, what you eat. Right. Do you exercise? Um, Do you think we we will be restricting probably not but perhaps we will be rewarding or we will create an economic advantage for those that are attentive to this uh, our number one health care issue to be quite honest is uh, obesity mm-hmm. and so uh, when I was working with Texas Health Resources we had a health and wellness program we were very emphatic if you wanted health care benefits Uh, you were an employee, you received those. But if you were part of an exercise program, you were a non-smoker, you you know, a number of parameters, your premiums actually dropped. So it was an economic interest to me to behave in that manner. Well, the social determinants of healthcare are going to be very, very important. And we're going to use, uh, once again, big data Mm -hmm. to determine what's the most effective Tool. I think you're going to see more of that into future. I also think you're going to see the infusion of smart business practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, some have criticized the government, the federal government's activity. I've been, uh, I've, I've admired it. There are so many smart business-centric strategies that uh, are uncompromising pricing transparency, pharmaceutical mm-hmm. pricing. I mean, there there are elements in our healthcare system that really we've, we've allowed to get away from us. Uh, that's why the uh, UTD Healthcare Management Program, their theme is the business of healthcare. Mm-hmm. So we have amazing clinicians that are doing amazing things. But how do you take smart business practice? I, I had one student, she was frustrated having to wait in doctor's office. Right. Why, you know, And a doctor has an emergency. She, she created a company that has a beeper system, just like you have at Chili's. Oh, wow. And you you think, yeah, smart idea. Provider is backed up. There's uh, maybe the physician has called to the hospital. All of a sudden, everyone's alerted on their smartphone and to say, we're going to reschedule or we're going to bump your meeting 15 minutes or uh, doesn't that make sense? It's taken us this long to really consider that. And that was one of our students that that is, uh, you know, imagining that kind of possibilities. I think UTD graduates are possibility thinkers and creative, and they have very strong analytic skills. We're going to see more and more of that in healthcare to improve the care that's delivered.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I was going to ask you what you meant by smart business practice, but you answered it completely after giving that example of the student with her business. So mm-hmm. that cleared it up. Um, to wrap up, Dr. Barrett, is there anything in particular you suggest? we do to stay informed about the virus and just taking care of ourselves going forward?
2: Well, I think we need to be attentive to the possibility of false news. And I suggest we move from furious to curious. Um, When I see someone post something that's inflammatory, I just kind of sigh and go, no need for that. Just listen. There are some great, uh, resources out there that are gathering data and providing data. And so I would avoid the talking heads. I'd be curious. So when I see something inflammatory, I'll research it. I'll just take a couple of minutes. I I won't look at uh, silly cat videos or silly dog videos. I'll research it. The most recent is what's the fatality rate of those that are um, suffering from COVID-19. Well, there's all sorts of numbers out there. Go and research it and look at the CDC as an example of information. It's not the definitive, but it helps us understand. So I'd move from furious to curious, and I'd celebrate the opportunity to share your ideas and possibilities. But we can disagree without being disagreeable. We can navigate down this road with COVID as but one example of a healthcare crisis, and many, many more ahead. And so I think the last thought that I'd share with you is, we're going to see more healthcare policy part of the national dialogue. We saw this in 2010 with the Affordable Healthcare Act. And we're going to see more and more of this as healthcare becomes something that in the past was, you know, part of your, you know, really not much you can do, work we're in this phase where we're curing cancer. We're we're minutes away from solving Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. We we you know we're able to transplant solid organs. I mean, this is the golden age of healthcare. And so let's let's remain agreeable. We may disagree, but let's remain agreeable. Let's move from furious to curious. And then last thought is let's uh, find joy in our purpose behind improving the health of people in the communities that we serve.
0: That's an optimistic outlook. I like that. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Barrett, for your time. It was really great hearing from you.
2: A pleasure. And feel free to post my name and number and contact information uh, while we're still distancing. I'm in JSON, uh, second floor, 2.411. I always love a good conversation, so I invite the listeners to swing by and share their thoughts. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to What's Up with Whitby. Thank you for joining us for another episode. I'm Po Yi, the SOC representative.
3: Hi, everyone. My name is Doris. I am the marketing associate.
1: Well, I just want to go ahead and thank Dr. Barrett for providing us some really great insight about the healthcare system in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I was honestly really impressed by his optimistic outlook. He has um, that he has with the pandemic and the healthcare system, it's, like, such a huge contrast in comparison to what we see on the news and social media, since everyone is pretty negative. And I really think we should learn how to adapt more of a positive mindset moving forward, since it looks like we will be in a pandemic for quite a while. Yeah, I totally agree.
3: Um, when you talk about, you know, adapting more of a positive mindset, I think that's really important for us, um, just because we, I feel like a lot of us has have been in this rut for a while, and uh, we've been, you know, stuck in a room or stuck in a house for months now. Um, so that's a really good point that you make, and I think hearing about, you know, him talk about UTD's healthcare management program. Really helped me understand how much stuff goes into healthcare management. Um, I'm not a healthcare major, but the example of you know the student who was frustrated at waiting in the doctor's office, so she took it upon herself to create like a beeper system. It really just goes to show how inspiring and bright these students are at our school, and I'm constantly blown away by you know ideas and projects that students come up with, and it pushes me to. Want to be better and um, be more proactive.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I really see how um, how much work and how inspiring are the students at UT Dallas are. And I know it's midterm season right now, and I just want to ask, like, how have you been doing? And like, do you have any tips for us on like how to conquer this frustrating season? Yeah. um, Well,
3: thank you for asking that. I am doing good. I'm doing well. Um, I think even though we aren't going on campus or to school, I still somehow have managed to stay just as busy. But in terms of tips and tricks, um, I do have a couple that I, uh, I try to do daily to, you know, take care of my health and my mental health. One is, I think it's important to clean up your space. Um, So for me personally, if my space is messy, my brain is messy and it kind of just correlates together. So if I have a very messy room or a messy workspace, I can't, it's really hard for me to concentrate or, um, you know, get things in order. Another thing that I think is really important for health is like feeding your brain. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. so many people have talked about like, you are what you eat. So it's really important not only that you know you're sleeping well, but you're also feeding your body mm. the nutrients it needs so it can function properly, and that, so that you can uh, retain information well. And you know you're not just like dozing off in the middle of like class or studying or something like that. Um, so yeah, that's just a couple tips for me that I think have helped me personally, and um, for anyone listening, you know maybe you can try to implement. A couple of those into your own life and see if it helps what about you do you have any tips that you have been doing this past semester
1: yeah um actually i think your tips were really great i've also been just making like a to-do list every day like because Mm. there are so many deadlines and like you know it's also like internship season so there's a lot of like interviews lining up and like internships applications going out as well so it's just a lot to keep track of so I find that making a to-do list and just following it every day really helps me keep up with you know all the things that I have to do and I've also been taking mental health breaks like it's it's like Something that I need because, like, oftentimes I would, like, you know, go overboard and, like, be way too stressed out. And then I'm like, well, wait, you know, yeah. I can just take a <laughs> break right now. And um, <laughs> yeah, Um one thing that I've been finding that's been really helpful is doing yoga. It's because, like, it just takes my mind off studying or just, like, stressing about, like, all of the things that I could do. And yoga has been really helping me just to, like, you know ground myself and just slow down mm-hmm. and just try to relax for those 15 to 20 minutes that I'm doing yoga.
3: Yeah, actually, when I just thought of this, like while you were seeing your last tip is um something else that is one of the biggest distractors for me, and I know for a lot of people is our phones. That can, you know, like, just going on TikTok, I've heard I'm not a huge TikTok person, but I have friends that, like, they will go on TikTok or they will go on any <laughs> social media app, and then I won't hear from them for, like, two hours
1: because oh they Oh, my just, goodness. It's
3: just, like, completely, like, distracted them. So, yeah, that was just something else, like, something random that I thought is, um, you know, putting your phone on, like, do not disturb or putting it on the other side of your apartment or your house or something like that is super... Might be super helpful. Yeah. I should do I should probably do that
1: <laughs> yeah like I really get what you mean I actually do, um did not like download TikTok for that purpose because I just find it so distracting yes. oh my gosh. and yes. um I started turning off my phone when I study because it's just so distracting to me since like I'm all alone in the room studying and I just want to do mm. something else but Yeah, I think you should really try turning off your phone or just at least putting it on, like, do not disturb mode so you can, like, concentrate properly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, to
3: conclude, uh, I did want to talk about um, an upcoming event that we have for Whitby, and it is the Palo Alto Mentorship event. And that is going to be happening October 14th at 5 p.m., and just a little description about this event for those that have not heard about it yet. We'll just be going over, you know, networking business and being a female in the workplace. And you can also get a chance to learn about Palo Alto's mentorship program, which is really a great opportunity that you guys should um, invest your time in. And on top of that, there's a lot of prizes and raffles that can be won uh, if you join this panel. So. Stay tuned for that. We are so excited to be partnering with Palo Alto. Um, They are an amazing company. And um, again, it's October 14th at 5 p.m. And the Zoom link should be out by now. Um, If if it's not, it'll definitely be coming out before the event. So again, thank you guys for being with us today and taking the time out of your busy day to listen. Have um, an amazing week. Best of luck on midterms. And... We will see you again next week for another episode. Bye.
1: Thank you, guys.